Good morning. Good morning. So we are at the very tag tail end of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. So if you would open up your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 will be in verses 15 to 23. And uh, as I was getting ready for this particular section of scripture, it made me think of all of the people who God seems to answer their prayers all the time. Do you ever like hear people talk and they're like, oh, God answered this prayer, it was amazing. God answered this prayer, it was amazing. You're like, why doesn't God answer my prayers like all the time like he does for these people? It feels like there are certain people that whenever I talk to them, God is answering their prayers constantly. So if you're not around people like that, you need to find better people to hang around with. So, um, and I, there's a number of reasons why God does not answer most people's prayers, okay? But I wanna give you, I think one that I see most often that is probably one of our biggest struggles. Most people's prayer lives remind me of my kids. Let me give you an example. Dad, can I drive the car? You're seven now, but I want to drive the car. Like, why are you even asking me? That is the most ridiculous thing on the planet. Dad, can we get a dog? No. If, if you get a dog, I'll pick up the dog poop. Really? Really, will you? Okay, not in the winter. Okay, who's going to pick it up in the winter? Well, you can pick it up in the winter. Okay, my favorite one is, Ted, can I have a unicorn? Total sincerity. And I'm like, sweetie, there's no such thing. No, uh, my hands down favorite request that I've ever gotten from my children is from my son in the church. Dad, can I pee right here? <laughs> and build his church, what is the answer? Of course, son, you're the pastor's kid. Do whatever you want, run amok, right? That's, that's the way I do it. Anyways, there are a lot of funny stories about that particular incident. Uh, on the other hand, um, my kids have come to me and they will come in from playing and say, I am so thirsty, could I please have some water? And of course, what's the answer? Yes, or here's one, Dad, we've been with you all day, you didn't feed us lunch, could we please eat and have dinner? <laughs> yes, we will do that. One of, the, one of the sweetest moments, and this has happened from my, both my older daughters, is um, they'll be in the middle of just a really, really intense struggle, you know, and, and for us, you know, their struggles are not that big of a deal, but you know what, they're a huge deal to me because it's a huge deal to them. And uh, they will be in the middle of tears. And one of the most precious moments that I, I've ever had with my children is when, when they look at me and say, Daddy, could you please just stop and pray for me? And I'm like, wow, a five-year-old and a seven-year-old are so understanding that they need God's help. And what is a dad going to do when a child says, Daddy, would you please pray for me? I just need God's help. The answer is we pray for him. And there are certain prayers that when we ask God, he's like, yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. The challenge is with most of our prayers, they're honestly like my kids' prayers or my kids' requests of me. And what I wanna teach you this morning is very simple. I wanna take a passage of scripture. It's a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, particularly to God. And he asks for three things. And these are three prayers that you can take to the bank. These are three prayers that I challenge you if you begin praying these things. God will, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, God will begin to answer these prayers prayers. Will God answer these prayers? The answer is yes. If you will pray this, God will answer these. Now, before we get to what the prayers are, we have to ask, why is the Apostle Paul going to specifically request three things, these particular things, for the Ephesian church? And so there are two facts that if you're new with us, maybe this is your first time here, you need to understand about Ephesus. Number one, it is a world, a city of much dark magic. 
If you go to Acts chapter 19, um, the gospel is infinitely power, more powerful than the magic in the demonic realm that's influencing it. And when people are coming to Christ, here's what happens in Acts 19, 19 to 20, in the city of Ephesus. And what this shows you is the level of permeation of dark magic in the city. And it says this, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, which is over 50,000 um, days' wages of normal workmen in the city. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Number one, it was a city that was laden with dark magic. Number two, it was a city fully inundated in cult worship. Now, one of the things you may not know about what the Bible teaches about cult worship is that it is fundamentally, fundamentally demonically motivated. So you, they might think that they're worshiping a god, but what they're doing is worshiping demons masquerading as a false god. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 10, 20. It says, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Why do we not go practice other religions? Because it's just fun and makes us more spiritual. Because fundamentally, every other religion that is not focused on Jesus Christ is demonic. That's one of the clear teachings of the Bible. Is that hard in this culture? The answer is Yes, but we have to teach faithfully what's true. And this is why we tell people, do not go mess around with other religions because in messing around with other religions, you're not just messing around with spirituality in general. You're actually beginning to tamper with a much darker world than you understood. Now, Ephesus, some people have made comparisons to like Chicago. And on some levels, it's a fair comparison, okay? But here's the difference between Ephesus and Chicago or any major city in the United States of America. In America, our culture, whether we realize it fully or not, has been built from the ground up for hundreds of years on a Judeo-Christian ethic, which still permeates every part of our culture. Now, it might be permeating less and less as the years and decades go on, but hear me, the foundation of America has been a Judeo-Christian ethic. In Ephesus, the foundation of Roman culture is paganism. It's paganism. It is not a Judeo-Christian ethic. They don't think like we think. They're, they don't think about religion and spirituality the way that we think. They have a lot of common similar practices, but they're very fundamentally different. In fact, what I would probably say, the best comparison would be to where the Deweys come from. Um, the Native American reservations, not built on a Judeo-Christian ethic, but built on paganism. Um, violently hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Emotionally, growing up in this world where they say that is not for me, that is other than, it's a very spiritual place, they live more in a place that represents Ephesus. Now, for the saints of the first century in Ephesus in the Roman Empire, the battle was between Jesus and Artemis. Who is stronger and who has more authority? Because if you're a Christian and you're being persecuted and you're being killed and you're being oppressed and you're being ostracized, who does it feel like has more authority? The answer is, Artemis. And yet Jesus is sitting here saying, no, I am more powerful than anyone. And they want to say, okay, Jesus, if you're more powerful, then move. Act like it. Be the God you say you're going to be. And Jesus keeps saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But we're being killed all day long is the cry of the early Christians. He says, I'm going to wait. I'm more powerful. I'm more powerful. Now, in our day, the battle is between Jesus and secular humanism. And here's the battle. Jesus, are you even there? Do you even exist or are you just a dead guy in the ground? And if you truly are God, then where is your power? And why aren't you doing incredible, miraculous signs? And why aren't your saints able to raise people from the dead and heal limbs on a whim and heal cancer and do amazing, powerful things? 
okay, Jesus, if you're really there, then why, is it, why does it seem that your church around the world is impotent to do anything? And I think the answers are a little bit backwards in the way that we would expect them to answer. So in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter one, here's what he says. For this reason, he's gonna give two reasons. Because I have heard of your faith, number one, in the Lord Jesus, and number two, your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what he's gonna say. He's gonna say this. I pray for you. I pray for you a ton. And I'm praying for you for two reasons. Two things have just honestly like made my heart burst with joy for you guys. In a dark and hostile world, you are faithful to Jesus. Don't stop that. I need to pray for you because life is hard where you're at. This isn't easy. And you, you need someone to go before the Lord and, inter, and intercede for you and intervene for you and beg God to give you more faith and to increase your faith. But you are faithful to Jesus. And he looks at me and says, I wanna, I wanna say, I'm proud of you guys and I love you guys. You're faithful to him. And number two, your love for one another, it's unbelievable. Because in the world, it's contingent love. In the world, it's I'll love you if. It's economic. It's tit for tat. It's this for that. You give me this, I'll give you that. But you guys have a completely different kind of love that honestly puts the world to absolute shame. And when I visited with you, when I heard the reports of you guys, your love for each other is beautiful and it's amazing. I want you to know this. I thank God for you all the time. But then he says this, I pray for you. Here are three, the three things he prays for them. And here's the first one. God Show me more of you. Now, he's praying this for them, but I'm putting this in a way that so you can say, this is what you, you can take this home and say, God, show me more of you. Now, before I start getting into this text, there's something you need to understand about this text. Um, this text is not one of the easier texts. It seems Paul is rambling. And when people ramble, do they make grammatical sense all the time? And the answer is no. Actually, what Paul's doing is he's ranting, and Paul typically rants when he is giving, we call them doxologies, or spontaneous outbursts of praise to God, okay? And so what's happening in like almost all of Ephesians 1 is that he is just ranting. You are redeemed, and you are this, you are in Christ, you are adopted, you are predestined, you are chosen, and he goes, and he's just talking and talking and talking. In fact, verses um, 3 to 14 is one sentence, no commas, no periods, no nothing. He's just talk, 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 talk. You're like, give me a punctuation mark, please. Well, the rant turns into a prayer, and at the end of this, and he's like, you guys are faithful, you guys are loving, you know, I'm just gonna pray for you, and here are the things that I pray for you, and so grammatically speaking, when you're reading this, it will be very easy for you if you don't slow down in this prayer to catch what is being said, okay? And so what I wanna help you do is understand what is being said in this prayer. He says this in verse 17. I'm praying for you that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, number one, the spirit of wisdom, and number two, the spirit of revelation. Now, what is the spirit of wisdom? I'm gonna give you a hint here, but I'm not gonna tell you yet. But wisdom is very simply this, in this context, right? He's gonna give us insight into something that was not previously known. He's gonna tell them something that they did not previously know. And this is a wisdom, it's maybe a piece of knowledge, information, or right living, that unless the Holy Spirit gives it to them, they cannot know, okay? Now what is revelation? Revelation means simply this, something was hidden and now it's become visible, okay? It was a mystery and now the mystery is resolved. And so they are Christians, they believe in Jesus Christ. Do they have the Holy Spirit? Bill, the answer is 
Yes, but there is still something that the Spirit of God needs to give them. There is still a mystery that needs to be solved. There is still information that the Spirit knows that he has not yet revealed to them that if Paul prays, that the Holy Spirit might give it to them. Okay, So some of you are sitting here and you might think to yourself, I am the most mature person spiritually in this room. You're not. <laughs> I love you, but you're not. Okay, um, That person is. No, they're not. Uh, he, I love this particular passage because what it reminds us of, of, no matter how deep you are with God, the Spirit of God still has more to reveal to you. And now we're gonna find out exactly what is this wisdom, what is this revelation, this thing that was hidden. I wanna give you a hint. I'm not gonna tell you yet. The hint comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 10. I'll put it up on the screen. It says, yes, I'm sorry it's small, but you can listen if you can't see it. Yet among the mature... We do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, has God revealed the full extent of this through the Spirit? Village Church, the answer is no. We've barely begun to scratch the surface. But then, here's what he says. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, let's bring us to the next statement. God is gonna give us a spirit of revelation, a spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of him. This grammatically is very hard for me to read. I, I don't totally understand it, just reading it the way it's translated literally. So I want to share with you in the next slide two um, translations that I think help us get right to the oomph of what this is talking about. So that you may know him better. So that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So let's rewind. God is going to give you a spirit of wisdom. And you are automatically gonna think because you're gonna take all of your ideas of what wisdom is and you're going to say, God's gonna give me skill in living and teach me how to live. No, 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 actually, um, the spirit of wisdom is going to reveal the wisdom of God. He's gonna give me a spirit of revelation. What is, what is, what is the Holy Spirit gonna reveal? He's gonna reveal more of God. That's what he's gonna reveal to you. And so here's what he's trying to say to you. The Holy Spirit, right, searches the depths of God. God is infinitely more deep than anything you could possibly imagine. And the Spirit is going to search the depths of God, and then he's going to reveal more of God to you. And so here's what he prays very simply for them is, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit might show you more of who God is, that you might know him better, that you might have more revelation of who God is. You might have more wisdom about who God is and what he values and what he's doing. At the end of the day, you break it down simply to this. Here's his prayer for them. I want you to know more of God. Here's my, here's my challenge to you. Okay, go before the Lord and say, show me more of you. Show me more of you. Show me more of you. And God will reveal more and more and more and more of himself to you than you could possibly imagine. Read and study the whole Bible. You have not even begun to plumb the depths of who God is and what the Spirit could reveal to you. What, what, what is hidden is this, the depths of God. Here's the point. With God, you will never, ever, ever arrive. If God were the ocean, you would never get to the bottom. If God were space, you would never reach its limit. 
Somebody wrote this, when the finite believes it has even breached the perimeter of the infinite, little does he know the endless expanse that lies yet in front of him. When the finite believes he has even breached the perimeter of the infinite, little does he know the endless expanse that lies yet in front of him. And I want to just stop for a moment and say, Paul prays that God might reveal more of himself, that people might know him more. And I want to just take a moment with you because some of you are visiting with friends and family. Some of you are like, yeah, the church is weird. These people are crazy. You get it. We are. You will never know more of God than you know more of Jesus. That there is no knowledge of God that first does not begin with knowing Jesus. That if you want to know anything about God, the complexity, the beauty, the greatness, the depths, the grandeur of God, if you want the Holy Spirit to reveal more of God's wisdom and to reveal more of God so that you might know him more, none of it will ever happen unless you go through Jesus. And so here is the simple thing that I would tell anybody in this room. If you want the Holy Spirit of God to show you more of who God is, you have to trust in Jesus. You have to. You have to. Nobody comes to the Father except through who? Jesus, and that's it. If you want more of God, you have to go through Jesus. And so one of my prayers for you this morning is that you leave here and you're like, I want to know God more, and the response would be this, then trust in Jesus. You will never, ever, ever go deeper by the Spirit of God. You will never be enlightened. You will never be given the secret hidden wisdom um, by the Spirit who probes the depths of God, who knows the character of God, the nature of God. You will never be given any of it unless you trust in Jesus Christ because the only way to have the Holy Spirit in you is to trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, God Show me how you see me. This is another one of these. You're gonna miss it. If you're not reading carefully, you're just gonna miss this. He says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Okay, why do I need to be enlightened? Like, don't I have the Holy Spirit? Don't I have everything I need? Aren't, I've read the whole Bible. I've studied anything, everything. Aren't I the smartest person in the room? No, you're not. In fact, he prays that these believers would continue to be enlightened because you have not arrived. Somebody give me an amen on that one. You have not arrived. Often, we live in communities where some of you are smarter than the majority of people around you. But God is infinitely complex and deep and beautiful and engaging and entertaining. As soon as you even begin to think for a moment that you have arrived, you need to get on your face and you need to say, God, show me more of you. And you need to say, show me what I really mean to you because you have yet to begin to delve the probe, the depths of what you mean to him and who he is. Now we're gonna see what this actually means. You need enlightenment, good. What is hidden from me? Here's what he says. Hope. Okay? What specifically is my hope? I want you to just follow the logic. Your hope is something that God has called you to. Intuitively, if you read this, you're gonna think he's talking about whose inheritance? Yours. He's not. Watch this. What has he called me to? God has called me you and the Ephesian church and the village church of Barlet to be whose inheritance? God's. Do you see this? If you don't read carefully, you'll miss who the inheritance is. What kind of inheritance are you to God? A glorious inheritance. 
Here's what he says. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance and where is his inheritance? In the saints. Honestly, this over the last couple of years has been a brand new concept for me. I never quite understood this. I've read in the Old Testament where it says over and over again that Israel is God's inheritance. But I've never, I don't know what it was about this concept, but to think that like I, the church, we could be so valuable to God that we could be a glorious, prized, valued, desired, precious inheritance to God. I wanna read you two verses, Deuteronomy 38, verse eight and nine. When the most high gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. I'm thinking, God, you could do better. <laughs> Anyone? Like, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at me, I'm like, for real? Like, this? Like, I think you're off on something here, God. I wanna read to you Ephesians chapter five. Verse 25 to 27. It says, husbands, love your wives. Can I get an amen on the wives? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Just keep preaching, ladies. Amen. <laughs> Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That when this is all said and done, Jesus is going to present a glorious, splendid, perfect bride who is the church to himself. And in the same way that a husband stands on his wedding day and sees his bride come down the aisle, that level of joy and gladness and excitement that level of affection that you have, this is one of the analogies that God gives for his inheritance who is the church. Oftentimes when I talk to God, sometimes I think he must think I'm an idiot. Sometimes I'm like, what do you, like, really, why do you like me? Like, what's going on? I mean, I don't know about you, unless you guys think you're amazing. I, I know myself pretty well. Like, if you're like, God, I'm just amazing. I just, I see why you chose me. I'm just, I'm a profound human being, right? I pray and I'm like, God, I'm so silly. I'm so rebellious. I do so many ridiculous things. And I look around me. I'm like, we're all in the same boat. And yet you love us so much. And here's what I just want to make a simple point because Paul makes this point. He says, look, you know that God loves you. You know that you're important to him. Okay, got it. God so loved the world and I'm part of the world and he loves me. But there is a depth to this that unless the Holy Spirit enlightens you, you will not understand. So you might be walking with the Lord for 70 years and say, I get it, God loves me. I have probed the depths of how much God loves me, how valuable of an inheritance I am to him. And I just wanna look at you and say, you have not even begun. And so as soon as you think you have mastered God's love for you, he still has infinitely more room to communicate to your heart how deep his love truly is for you. Why do you need this? Because you feel like the Ephesians, you're sitting in this world and they're being persecuted, they're being oppressed, they're being ostracized, they're being polarized. Do you love me? Like if you loved me, you would fix this. Anybody ever have that thought? And here's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to them. Forget about what's happening out there. You're his inheritance. You are valuable. You are special. 
right? Not because you're amazing, but because God is going to perfect you and make you into a glorious, splendid, splendid, beautiful bride. He will present you to himself. Don't get me wrong. The beauty and the glory in you is infused of God and is given to you. But hear me. You are of infinite, infinite value to God. You are his inheritance. And you will be glorious. How expensive are you? I love this. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Number three. God, show me your power. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. So there's still more that you need to know. I want you to catch this because when I say, God, show me your power, you're thinking, give me the power to raise people from the dead. Give me the power to heal cancer, grow back limbs, Give me the power to do incredible things. Give me the power to like pull a Yoda and like move something from here to there to move a mountain, right? Anybody want that kind of power? Like that's kind of what some of us think when we're thinking about show me your power. But apparently there is a power of God at work that unless you are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, you will miss. That there is a power of God that unless the Holy Spirit shows it to you, you're gonna miss. I don't know if you've ever asked this question. I feel like I don't ever see God do big things. Let me just tell you right now, God is always at work. He is never bored. He's never sitting with his feet up, twiddling his thumbs, watching television. Like God is engaged in every moment of every believer's life at every corner. God is moving. He is acting. He is encouraging. The spirit is always teaching, convicting, encouraging, equipping, challenging. I mean, the spirit is saving. Every moment of every day, there is somebody either being saved or drawn to faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit of God is not dormant, okay? Our challenge is that we're busy and distracted, and that apparently that Paul understands the Ephesians are easily going to miss the power of God at work in their midst and all around them, and they need the Holy Spirit to show them. If you've ever wondered, God, what are you up to? Here's what I want you to start doing. God, show me your power. Show me what you're doing. Show me what you're up to. Reveal to me. Make it clear to me, and the spirit of wisdom and of revelation will show you, and he will begin to show you what God is up to. And just when you thought you have seen everything there is to see, God will continue to reveal to you more and more. And you might say, why can't I just see this power? Because some things are only visible with the right antenna. That's it. I mean, all, I mean, this is crazy to me. I wish I could see all of the kind of waves that are going through this building right now. Cell phones, radio, CB, satellite, gamma, x-rays. And we could go on and on and on. I mean, there are so many things happening around your head right now that you can't see. They're bumping into your brain and bouncing around you and going through you. It is amazing. But once you get the right antenna and the right device and you're tuned into it, you can actually hear what's going on. And we tend to think that if we can't see it, feel it, or experience it, it must not be real. But the Holy Spirit is in the business of revealing the power of God. And here's what he says in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? And there's a word coming up here. Hit it for me. What is that word? Toward us who believe. Who is exercising the power? God. It is very easy to read this and to say, God, give me this power. The amount of sermons that are like, the power of God is the same power in you, and now you get to go exercise this power. That's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is God is moving. God is doing profound things, and they're blind to see it. Even though they have the Spirit of God, they need the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God to reveal the power of God and what he's actually doing all around them. I love this. It's the immeasurable greatness of his power. Like this isn't some like weakling power. Um, there is something underneath the surface that is happening all around us. Love this. Power makes things work. 
God is making spiritual lives work every single day. How many of you have been convicted of sin this week in any way, shape, or form? Now, if you're not going to raise your hand, then that's <laughs> sorry for you, right? The power of God. How many of you have learned something new about God in the last month? The power of God. Here's the challenge. We don't talk about it. We don't know half of the things or 99% of the things the Spirit is doing because we live in this isolated world where we're not actually opening our mouths and telling people about the power of God in our lives. If I were to say to you, how many of you have sat in a counseling session or a one-on-one or encouraged somebody, um, you've seen God begin to work in their lives in the last month. How many of you have sat with your kids and you see the Holy Spirit started to teach and to train and to challenge and equip your kids? Hands would go up and up and up and up and up and God is moving constantly, transforming souls and resurrecting souls from the dead, which we're gonna see in the next chapter next week, is that God is about the business of resurrecting dead souls day in and day out and healing and redeeming and restoring and we're blind and we need the Holy Holy Spirit to show us what's going on. How many of you would be more excited about being faithful to God and loving each other if you were to daily get an email that said all of the things that the Holy Spirit did in your church's life that day, right? Be like, oh, that's amazing. It's like a download of everything. The problem is it would be like 150 pages long and two um, point font, right? And you'd have to like get a magnifying glass to read it or if Siri had to read it for you, it would take you like 15 hours, okay? But here's the deal. If I were to say to you, what's God doing in the, in the village church right now? You'd be like, People are visiting, you know? Like, you have not, I have not even begun to scratch the surface of what God is doing in us who believe. And then he goes on, he says, this is according to the working of his great might. And now he's gonna give you an illustration of this power, which I think this is kind of funny, because for me, I'm so used to God moving in people's lives that that doesn't feel like it takes a lot of power. Apparently in God's economy, to raise a dead soul to life and to transform them into the image of Jesus Christ requires the power that raised Jesus from the dead physically. And so here's what he says. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then he goes on. And now he goes, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same power that brought him and ascended him into heaven, it says, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, Artemis, Diana, the emperors, etc. Like all of those names, Jesus is sitting in authority over all of them not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then it goes on. It's like he's not done yet. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. This is where it gets crazy, okay? That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, ascended him to heaven, put him above every earthly power. Here's what he says now. He has given him as the head, as the leader to the church. And you now are united to him. And you now rule with him and reign with him. And that same power that God has used to exercise this over Jesus is the same power that is now at work in you, in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Before we get just caught up in this whole statement, here's the image. It's like a body, like a physical body. And Jesus is the head and we're the actual body. And where Jesus says to go, we go. And the power that raised him from the dead raises us from the dead. And the same power, he comes back and he rewinds. He goes, this is the power that God is using toward you. And if you want to know its potential, if you want to know its capacity, if you want to know its strength, look at what this power did to the dead body of Jesus Christ. Look at what this power did to the living, resurrected body of Jesus Christ when he raised him up into heaven. Look at what this power did when it put Jesus over all of creation, over all rulers and all authorities. That same power... God is exercising toward you, the church. 
right now under the authority of Jesus who is the head. And this is supposed to be an encouragement for them. Like, look, I know you feel like God has abandoned you. I know you don't feel like you know what God is doing. And I pray this, that God would show you the real time his power. Let me show you the power of Christ. When men stand before a sword and reject the loyalty of the state only to be executed. When people gather to worship, but being caught can mean instant death or imprisonment. That, that is the power of God. Where people weep over having been given a Bible because they've been starved of God's word. When those most vilely wounded forgive with generosity and grace. When a rebellious child comes home. When a husband, after years of neglecting his family, humbles himself before Jesus and repents. When a small child understands the simple gospel and passes from spiritual death to spiritual life. The power of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is happening all around us. Every day, every moment, And we get to see it in our lives, but we withhold it from other people, probably because we're busy and distracted and we forget. But Paul says this, I pray that you might have your eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may see the power of God, his immeasurable great power toward you who believe. So three prayers. Number one, God, uh, please, pretty please, sugar on top, show me more of you. He'll do it, God. Show me what I mean to you. Show me how you see me. Show me my value. Because right now I feel like a neglected child. Right now I feel like you're not very interested in me. Right, right now I feel like I'm not that important to you. God, show me your power. I feel like you're not doing anything. I feel like everybody else is winning. And God will show you. I wanna close with this illustration. How many of you know anything about the blue whale? Anybody? Totally learned about this recently. Blew my mind. Blue whales. Largest animals ever known to have lived on earth. They're marine mammals, and uh, they grow to be about 100 feet. 100 feet long, upwards of 200 tons. And there's a picture of one at the top just to get like a category. I love this. Their tongues can weigh alone as much as an elephant. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Their hearts weigh as much as an automobile. They're, the blue whale calves enter into the world, ranking among the planet's largest creatures already. After about a year inside its mother's womb, a baby blue whale emerges weighing up to three tons and stretching to 25 feet. And it gorges on nothing but its mother's milk and gains about 200 pounds every day for its first year. What? <laughs> they live between 80 and 90 years old. At the beginning of the 20th century, there are over 300,000 of them. And throughout the first uh, three quarters of the 20th century, they were poached. Over 300,000 of them were killed. Uh, there's estimated to be about 10 to, 10 to 30,000 like, left in the world right now. They're being protected. But the power of this animal is not even in its sheer size. It is in its call. Its call to other blue whales can go over thousands of miles through the ocean. So that if you were in New York, another blue whale could communicate with its buddy all the way to the coast of Europe. Right through the water. Mind-boggling. Don't even understand it. And how many of you have been in the Atlantic Ocean? Right? Did you hear the, did you hear the call? <laughs> did you hear it? <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. It was too easy. <laughs> and yet it's all around you. It's, I mean, you get in the water, and that call is permeating, and it's going through, and it is powerful. 
And it's more powerful than what we can see or feel, feel or experience. And it's processed because somehow a blue whale, I'll call it an antenna, has a receptor that has the ability to pick up this frequency. And this is what the Holy Spirit needs to do with you. There are things that are going on around you. There are things about God. There are things in God and there are things God is doing that unless the Holy Spirit shows you, you won't know. And here's my challenge to you. You who call yourself mature and deep, you have not even begun to walk into the shallow end yet. And if you're bored with God, trust me, you have not even begun to understand him. I love this. This is one of the favorite things I've ever heard. God is infinitely more beautiful, entertaining, engaging, enthralling, and intoxicating than anything else on this planet ever. And if you ask him, he will blow your mind. He will begin to reveal what he's up to, what he feels when he thinks of you, what he's doing, his power in ways you never even could have begun to understand. And he will put the blue whale call to shame. Can I get an amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, there's so much power in this world. I just think about even the burst of a gamma ray from the sun and its power just to devastate us. And um, God, you are infinitely more powerful than anything in this planet. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that you use to resurrect our souls from the dead. And one day, God, you will resurrect our dead bodies and give us new bodies. But God, I pray right now that you would just give us clear line of sight, that you would reveal by your Holy Spirit more of who you are. When we doubt your love for us and your commitment to us, that you would show us what we really mean to you. And Lord, when we doubt whether or not you're doing anything, that you would show us your power. And Lord, for those of us who are bored, would you reignite us by your Holy Spirit and show us how beautifully engaging and mesmerizing you truly are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.